Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters. I'm Farah Feeney. Through conversations with everyday people, Mind and Soul Matters aims to broaden our understanding of mental health and spirituality and to deepen our insights into the challenges and meaning of our lives. Our guest today is Fiona McDonald, who joins us with many years of personal and professional experience in creating healthy relationships, including 25 years working as a relationship educator and happily married for 46 years with four children and seven grandchildren. Fiona is also a marriage celebrant and has served on the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Australia an elected national governing body of the Baha'i community for the past 29 years. I'm really looking forward to our soulful conversation today to learn more about how we can create healthy and happy families. Welcome, Fiona. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Farah, and I'm really delighted to have been asked to come. Wonderful. So much of our happiness and well-being depends on the quality of our relationships and families. But before we get into that, can you tell us about your role as a relationship educator? Yes, it's an interesting area in Australia in particular. There is quite a strong emphasis on relationship education. It's the other side of counselling. Counselling is where you're looking at what the issues are. These are trying to prevent the issues. Um, And so really that we we have an area called relationship education where we're building, um, trying to build knowledge and skills so that people then are able to put these into practice. And it creates a greater understanding once you have the knowledge and skills, which can often change an attitude. So if your attitude in a relationship is one of entitlement, then through this notion of, of, of understanding that actually the benefits of a relationship um, will ben- benefit you as much as anyone else, you know, then you are learning how to actually, you know, build that relationship. But often people say, but how do I do that? Mm. And therefore this field is the field of helping you to how to do it. It's a bit like that ad- old adage of teaching a person to fish is better than just feeding them because then they're able to feed themselves. So that's really, uh, in a nutshell, mm. what relationship education is about. Mm. So let's get into that. Um, mm. What are the ingredients uh, or the characteristics of a healthy family? Well, there's, there's quite a lot of um, information out there about what, what is a, a, um, a healthy relationship. And one of the, the, the people that I'm, I find really resonates with me is John Gottman. He's been observing relationships now for mm, 35, maybe close to 40 years. So his, his research is really on the ground you know, and he's been observing, and he has found the key things to actually um, avoid, if you like, in terms of unhealthy relationships. Uh, he has he has discovered starting with criticism. So if we are criticizing each other, that can often move down to a defensiveness that we don't necessarily take responsibility for. And then after that, it can go down to contempt where we start, to, and therefore we start to lose really lose the relationship. 
And so these are the kind of things he talks about. But what he says, he talks about the foundation of relationships. Um, and he says the first part, and you need to spend um, much time, is the building of friendship. He says friendship is what carries a relationship through. Um, when you first get married, it's terribly exciting. It's, you know, the chemistry. It's all of that can't be apart and all of these things, you know. But that, of course, they call it the honeymoon phase. That, uh, that subsides because it has to. But then you, what you have is a deeper relationship, which is based on friendship, you know, using fondness and admiration for each other. There is also something he talks about, which is this notion of um, turning towards. And it's an interesting one when I've always thought about that, because it's that notion that if, if your partner is, is wanting to have a conversation with you, there are three different ways that you can respond to that. Um, one is to say, hmm, you know, okay. The other one is to say, oh, that's interesting. Yes, I agree, blah, blah, you know, to be engaged. And the one that really we should try to avoid is the dismissing, don't talk to me, I'm trying to do this, you know, that whole thing is to be very dismissive. And they talk about that really successful relationships are where we are, you know, that we are um, engaged with whatever our partner comes to us with, even if it's something, you know, you might be watching television and they, they start to say something, you say, can you hold that for a minute? We'll come back to that. I just want to hear this. But then he also talks about we need to be able to resolve conflict. Um, and of course, we need to actually engage in each other's dreams mm. of what is it our dreams are, you know, what are these things. So he has this, he has this wonderful house of uh, a healthy relationship house that's got seven principles in it. But, but the two things on the side are trust and commitment. And commitment really is so important in, in a relationship to be able to be committed to it. Um, and make that decision, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. And I guess in theory, that all sounds wonderful. But in our busy lives where we are trying to, you know, if we have children looking after the kids, work, household chores, how do we practically try to implement some of these things that you've talked about? Yes, and that's a really good question because you're quite right. We do lead frenetic lives these days, don't we? And particularly when we've got small children and when we've got, you know, a lot of things happening, it, it is quite hard. And this is where we really have to uh, make an effort as a couple to make sure that that relationship is strong because that is the primary relationship. If that relationship is strong, everything flows from that. And that is the most important relationship before that before the parents and the children. Because if you don't have a good relationship, it's not gonna work with the children either. Mm. So, that, so that means paying attention to it. And that means spending some time together without the children. However you do that, whether you decide, as some people do, we'll have a date night, you may not even go out, but a date night or go away for weekends, as much as you can and spend time together working on, not so much working on the relationship, but being, you know, in the relationship mm -hmm. and actually really nurturing each other mm -hmm. and supporting each other. So you have to be intentional and not use the children as an excuse that we can't work on the relationship because that's, that can happen. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is not a benefit to the children. But if people have gone down that path where they are in a, in a difficult, you know, there is a lot of criticism or arguments and it's, there's tension and they're kind of a bit stuck in that place. Do you have any suggestions of how to kind of get back to that happy, healthier place? 
Well, I mean, if you can't do it on your own, then it's good to go and get some help. Now, whether you get help uh, from a counsellor or whether you go to a course, which is the things that I used to do. Um, I used to run courses for couples, couple, you know, courses, all sorts of topics, including parents, uh, parenting courses and things like that, and depending on what the, the stuck is. Um, but one of the things that I've always found very interesting that John Gottman has said, and, and, and I think it does ring true, um, he says that about two-thirds of issues between couples are just not resolvable. He says, these are things that you cannot resolve. For example, if one of you really likes to stay up late at night, uh, but the other one is an early bird, I mean, who's right and who's wrong? Are we going to persuade one to stay up or are we going to persuade one to get up? You, you then have to manage it. So you manage that whole area. One might stay up, the other one goes to bed. The other one gets up early, the other one sleeps in. You know, or occasionally one stays up or occasionally one gets up early. So these are the kind of things it could be that one is, finds it hard in a hot climate, one finds it hard in a cool climate. How do you manage that? It's not right or wrong. And so many issues are these areas that are just, that's the way it is. But when we realise that we actually don't have to resolve them such that, you know, I must get my own way, and, and then you learn to manage them, then it's uh, being respectful in the relationship in that process, then it's a lot easier. Yeah. And what do you see as some of the benefits of such a family? Well, it's interesting because I think there is a balance that's required in a family as well. So when we're looking now at the family, and, and maybe if I could read a quote from the Baha'i writings. Sure. Um, it says here that the, the family, being a human unit, must be educated according to the rules of sanctity. All the virtues must be taught the family. The integrity of the family bond must be constantly considered and the rights of the individual members must not be transgressed. The rights of the sons, the father, the mother, none of them must be transgressed. None of them must be arbitrary. Just as the son has certain obligations to his father, the father likewise has certain obligations to his son. The mother, the sister and other members of the household have their certain prerogatives. All these rights and prerogatives must be conserved, yet the unity of the family must be sustained. The injury of one shall be considered the injury of all. The comfort of each, the comfort of all, the honour of one, the honour of all. Now, what I kind of read about and, and understand in this, in this quote is that there are families in the world, there are certain family, not families, but maybe cultures as well, where the individual um, is the most important in the family and their rights are more important than the family unity. So they, they often will do things quite separately. They'll be independent. Doesn't mean to say they don't love each other, but it does mean that they could sometimes be quite disengaged from the family and the family unit is not particularly important. And on the other hand, you also have families where they're very close sometimes you could call them a meshed, where the, the, everyone has to do everything together. Everyone goes to whole holiday together. Everyone, you know, it's a bit extreme, of course, but, but this whole notion of, every, and the individual can get quite suppressed and oppressed, if you like. Their rights are often um, neglected, and therefore it's what, you know, the, the family decides, and that's what we have to do. Now, what I'm understanding from the Baha'i writings is there's a balance. The individual rights are really important, and all of us have our rights, and have, but also we have our responsibilities. But at the same time, the unity of the family is also important. 
This is a, a, to me, this is quite an important concept that we, that will help us to help recognize the balance that is needed in the family, and so that we need to be able to recognize all of those. And just speaking a little bit about some of the things in there, the virtues. It talks about virtues must be taught. Now, these are things that I think everyone wants our child to exhibit mm, virtues. We all absolutely. want, them, don't we, to be, and we also want to be receiving. So if we meet people who are respectful and truthful and honest and kind, we really like them. Therefore, we need to be able to make sure our children are brought up, not only to demonstrate, but they first of all have to understand what they are, what do they look like, and when are they acting in that way. And therefore, then you, you, if you consciously work on that with your children, that you recognize that they're being respectful and you recognize it and acknowledge it with them, it does mean that if they're not showing that, you can call them to it. So if they're not actually being patient, you can say, I'd like you now to show some patience. Mm. Uh, but they have to know what it looks like first to be able to do that. So we need to teach them that. The other aspect that I think is really important is that a child is not its behavior. Um, a child's behavior can be really bad one moment and really good the next moment. So which is it? But uh, So you have to separate the child from its behavior. And when you're helping a child in the family um, to, to, you know, train a child, you need to help them understand that when you're upset with them, it's actually their behavior that you're upset with, not some, not the child. You still love the child, you just don't like the behaviour. And I, I I have a little story I often use, which is is when I, that was one thing I must admit I had, I did have my handle around. Some of the other things that I've learned over the years, I wish I knew when I had children. Um, but this one, my mother helped me to understand. Um, and so when I was trying to teach my youngest, uh, my son, Philip, um, I, we were in the kitchen one day and Natalie, uh, his one, the sister older than him, had broken a glass. So we were doing the usual thing, just be careful, mind the feet, don't, don't step on it, go away, we'll brush it all up. And he turned to me and said, now I get it. He said, you're not cross with Natalie, just her fingers. <laughs> I said, you've got it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really understanding. And it is an important aspect because otherwise you are loving a child conditionally Mm. not unconditionally. So these are important concepts that I think we have to, and I think more and more people understand that these days. Do you see any relationship between when these things are working well in a family and mental health? Absolutely. I think that is exactly where good mental health comes from. Right. Because if you are in a family that's supported, that loves you, and you are building resilience, I mean, um, when I say you have to build resilience in, child, in a child, that means also that they have to be allowed to go through hardship. They have to be allowed to fail. But it's how you handle it, how you help them to handle that so that they're building the resilience. It's not always going to be fair. They're not always going to win. They're not always going to be the best, you know, and that's life and that's fine. So you're helping them to recognize that actually they're still okay if they fail. They're still okay if they, if they don't win. You know, they are still. So it's really that esteem that we're talking about that comes from a, a family that helps children to understand that. Not spoiling them, that, that doesn't help at all. There's mm -hmm. not a spoiling thing there, but you have to let children um, manage their own problems, but you can be there as a coach. Actually, I have a nice little story mm -hmm. around that that I learned from my mother. It was a huge lesson for me. When I was first at high school, I was in England, you probably gather from my accent, um, I went to school and a girl 
who was also called Fiona, only Fiona in the primary school and the only Fiona in the high school, turned the whole class against me. And I can't remember how she did it or why she did it. And so I was sent to what we called Coventry. I was isolated. And um, I went home and would be very upset. And my father was ready to go down to see the headmistress. My mother said, no, she has to learn to deal with this for herself. And so mm-hmm. I would come home crying. My mother would talk it through. She, she'd say, what about this? She, she'd coach me from the side, as I always say it. Mm-hmm. And and I then gradually, gradually, and then I remember I remember the very day a friend, somebody from another class came up and said, would you like to play? And I said, yes. And from there on, I started to make, you know, back into the thing, friends again, until, you know, I was a prefect in the, in the school. Lesson never left me because I had to deal with it myself, but my mother coached me. She supported me. Now, it happened to another girl in the school, and this girl, her mother went to the, to the principal and it made it worse. Mm, coaching from the side. Coaching from the sidelines, but helping them to manage and deal with their own issues, Mm. uh, but talking it through with them, you know, with them as how to do that. Mm. You know, it's like emotional coaching. Now, when children are in that setup and they're learning to deal with the hardships of life and they should deal with them, then they are going to manage. They know they can resolve things. And that's where that nurturance from the family. And even when they get older, I mean, I've got mine in their 30s and 40s now. They still come back and, and... talk about things with us and, and talk things over with us, you know. Mm. And, and I'm sure many of the people maybe listening will do that too, go yeah. back to their families and actually talk things through. And I think that is a very strong indicator of good mental health when people know there are ways out of these, these situations. But it's when they don't have those skills and knowledge and, and ability to do that or belief in themselves. And I think this is really one of the key issues to good mental health. Mm. Not the only, but one of the key. Like at a personal level, what is like three tips or three things you know now that you wish you had known in your 20s that you would like to share? Two things that come to mind in in our relationship, I would say, that that I think is really important is the notion of a sense of humour. I think a sense of humour, not laughing at, but laughing with, I think is so important because that really can ease the tension. And we, Keith and I laugh a lot together. We find that we pull each other's leg, we laugh a lot, and we find that's really useful. The other thing, and I think this goes both to your partner and to your family, is being able to say sorry. And, and I think I've, I do have a third effect. It's one that I did learn from when I was first married. Um, and that was, I like to deal with issues and if something comes up, I want to deal with it. Keith was more uh, inclined to sweep it under the carpet. But the problem was when I wanted to deal with it, I got my boxing gloves on and I was right in there, you know, in, in, in a very inappropriate way. And Keith would say, no, that, that he wouldn't talk about it while it was like that. So he taught me to be calm and, and talk about it in a calm manner, not in an angry manner. But I also taught him that we have to deal with it. Mm. You, you can't sweep it under the carpet. So, so between the two of us, and then, of course, I learned a lot of how to do it better through the work that I've done over the years, how to, 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 to start a conversation in a soft way, not in you're hopeless, you know, as opposed to how I feel. 
when this happens um, is in a, in a different manner. So I've learned all of that as we went through. Because I began to say to people, look, we're not looking for perfect parents. We're looking for good enough parents mm. because nobody can be perfect. I and mean, if you try to be perfect, it's actually an obstacle. But good enough is being intentional, trying your best, learning when things don't quite work out and saying sorry. But good enough is fine yeah. in my book. That's, I think that's a perfect place for us to end in terms of good enough as a parent, but also looking at our relationships that they're good enough. Because exactly. I think sometimes we even strive for that perfect relationship, exactly. the perf- being the perfect wife or the perfect husband or the perfect mm. partner. Mm. But it's about being good enough and striving yeah. to be better the next day. Thank you so much, Fiona. It's been so wonderful having you here. Not at all. Thank you very much for having me, Farah. And I'd like to thank our listeners and our great team who work behind the scenes to bring mind and soul matters to you. I'd like to especially thank Dr. Dan Lincoln and Dr. Parisa Khadem, who have generously and lovingly worked alongside our team to provide continual guidance and advice to ensure we bring you our best. If you've enjoyed today's episode, remember to subscribe on your preferred podcast app and share with friends. For any comments or feedback, please email mindandsoulmatters at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. 